This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good, mo- good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, live from uh, Liberty Village this Sunday morning. Uh, great week in sports again. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Um, it was draft uh, week in the NBA and the NHL, and we've got some great guests to talk about that. Today we've got Leo Routens coming on shortly to talk about the NBA draft. And in the middle of the show, we've got Mike Fuda. Vice President of uh, of Hockey Operations for the L.A. Kings, who's going to talk about uh, the L.A. Kings' uh, fantastic feat in winning the Stanley Cup and also about the NHL draft uh, Friday night. Uh, we'll also have Mike uh, Mark Kennedy, our soccer blogger, and uh, Sean Clement back in his Golf Wisdom segment. Anyways, Naz, uh, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour is not going to, ha- not going to have Gunnarsson to kick around anymore. My boy Carl Gunnarsson got traded yesterday. And uh, he ended up with the St. Louis Blues in exchange for Roman Polak. What yeah. do we know about Roman Polak? Is he is going to be a difference maker for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I don't think he's going to be a difference maker on, on defense. He's probably a 6th to 7th defenseman on the St. Louis Blues. So it was just an exchange of 6th uh, and 7th defensemen as far as I'm concerned. The Leafs did give up a 4th round pick also in the in the trade. Yeah, not too concerned about giving up the 4th round pick. Uh, seems to me, all kidding aside, that it is a trade for trading away a soft defenseman with a little bit of offensive skill, and apparently that may be what St. Louis is interested in. And the Leafs in return get a little bit of quotation marks, grit and sandpaper, as that's what they call it. I don't know about his offensive ability, Wallace, but uh, <laughs> I, I've been bashing Gunnarsson for the last year, so it, uh, I'm not uh, unhappy that he's gone. Anyways, before we talk about the Leafs pick uh, Friday night, we do want to mention uh, Michael Del Cole, who was on our show last Sunday, uh, was drafted as expected to the New York Islanders, uh, uh, the number five overall draft choice. And we certainly, on behalf of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, we congratulate Michael and his family. Uh, for our listeners to know, Michael has Michael Del Cole has been um, invited to the evaluation camp for the uh, World Junior Tournament. So he'll be headed to that camp in August. And if he's not in the NHL, um, come September, October, he'll probably be wearing the red and white for Canada at the at the World Juniors. But uh, I think he may have a good shot of making the, the Islanders. Uh, he'd, look, he'd look really good beside John Tavares. That would... Yeah, I think he's going to get a shot with Tavares for sure. You know, he's, he's drafted fifth overall, so they're going to give him a shot to play with Tavares. And wouldn't that be a great treat for any player to play with a guy like that? The Islanders, Garth Snow, 
I'm 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 happy for Michael that he's in the NHL now and to get drafted and he's going to do well. But what are the Islanders doing drafting two goalies in the draft? Wally, does this make any sense at all? Of course it doesn't make any sense. I mean, I give I give uh, Garth Snow all the kudos in the world because I think he found a gem in Michael Del Cole at the number 5 slot. I think he's going to be a, a, a an, an impact uh forward in the NHL for a long time to come. But Garth Snow's got a history of not making the most, um, I don't want to use uh, too strong a word, but maybe not the best decisions. Uh, Certainly doesn't have the reputation for making some of the best decisions. And drafting two goalies to me makes no sense whatsoever. But uh, I I can't say that I'm surprised. Let's talk about What's uh, what's important to the uh, to the local economy here, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the the passion that unites us all, the blue and white. We uh, we went for talent. Apparently, we have an intern at the show. His name is uh, Josh Cooper. And uh, when we came in this morning, Naz, we weren't too thrilled about this this Nylander pick. But uh, Josh seems to be thrilled about it. We were we were we were more hoping we'd uh, at least would take this Richie kid. Yeah, Richie's like six foot four, six foot five, two hundred and thirty pounds, power forward. Leafs don't have any size up front. Uh, he was available. They were saying that he should have gone a couple of picks before that. They had the opportunity to take him. They didn't. They took Nylander. Nylander may be another Backstrom or that type of player. That, that would be good for the Leafs, but their need right now is size up front. They need to build some size because their forwards are really not big at all, and they're not tough along the boards for sure. I was sort of shocked by that pick. I was watching uh, watching the draft, and um, I, I believe that the Leafs were going to take Richie, and uh, if he was still available, I didn't. I mean, he was he may, he was projected. Some teams may have taken him earlier because. Uh, you know, everybody wants to match up with the LA Kings nowadays, and uh, you, you need some you need some uh, some toughness, especially the Leafs having to face Boston all the time and having to deal with Lucic in the corners. Uh, you know, it, it's nice to have a couple of power guys to fight uh, uh, fight with that that kind of game with the Bruins or with the Kings. Uh, so I fully expected the Leafs were going to take Richie in the eight spot um, because they have a glaring gap in terms of. Uh, uh, power forwards, uh, and they went with uh, they went with Nylander. But apparently, the book on Nylander is he's may in fact have been the most talented player in that whole draft in terms of his skill set, um, and uh, was the best player in the under eighteen tournament. And you get some of the best players there, and uh, sixteen points in seven games. Um, Leafs may have found a diamond in the rough here. Yeah, it could be. I uh, hope he turns out that way. Uh, getting back to Richie, though, now he's going to Anaheim, and the Vancouver Canucks traded Ryan Kessler to Anaheim. Don't you think it looks a little obvious that they're going to challenge the Kings with size up front, and that's where they're gearing us to? Well, we've got Mike Foodon coming on uh, uh Vice President of Hockey Operations for the LA Kings and considered to be one of the bright minds in the game of hockey and future GM material. Um, certainly, we can uh, we can ask him what it what it takes to compete against the LA Kings because the LA Kings obviously have a philosophy of how how to build a team and they've been very very successful. 
Yeah, and if they weren't beaten by Chicago two years ago, they may have had three Stanley Cups. So Mike's done a really good job with the L.A. Kings. Once again, in a few moments, we'll have on the on the Nazimali Sports Hour, Leo Routens, who will be joining us, obviously, to talk about uh, the Raptors and the NBA draft and, uh, and all things basketball. Um, one thing I, I, I do want to mention um, that I don't want to let go, it, it, uh, uh, Monday was... Uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in the NHL, and uh, I was I was glad to see that Pat Burns uh, was inducted, uh, deserving candidate. Uh, it's it really is unfortunate. Um, he passed away a few years ago, and they could have inducted him before he passed away, and uh, I th- I think that's unfortunate. He he was he was touted as a Hall of Fame candidate. I think at the time that he was ill, everybody knew. That um, that someday he would have been uh, elected to the hall, it would have been the right thing to do. Unfortunate, uh, fortunately that didn't happen. But I'm sure his family's thrilled to death. Uh, that sorry, that may be a poor choice of words, uh, and I apologize for that. But I'm sure his, his family's thrilled, and that he's going into the hall. And it's it's overdue, and it's unfortunate it didn't happen before. Yeah, good guy, good coach, uh, well liked everywhere. Pat Burns was probably the best Leaf coach in the past 30 years for, for the Leaf organization, and he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame before. But it's good they put him put him in now. What did you think of the selections uh, themselves, Wally? Um, I don't have a problem with any of them. Um, Mike Badano I thought was deserving. Uh, Hasek is just was absolutely a, a no-brainer. Rob Blake, uh, I'm a, a bit of a borderline with Rob Blake, um, he what, wasn't my favorite pick, but he's you can you can make the argument for him, and no no question about that. Anyways, once again we have Leo Routens on shortly, uh, very quickly. Blue Jays, um, uh, sort of uh, up and down week, but uh, the good news is they're still in first place. They seem to have come back to the pack a bit, and uh, they're letting other teams into the race. But they've got a lot of injuries. Bautista and uh, Laurie are out. And it makes a big difference. But their pitching has been hanging on, and they're just not scoring enough runs to win these these last two games. They lost by one run apiece. And they've had some pretty good pitching performances. So let's uh, hope they get back and back on a winning uh, trail. But I still think they're going to win the AL East. And a uh, little bit of a controversy over yesterday. Uh, Strawman was, uh, was, was uh, pitching a great game. And um, some people think that uh, Gibbons pulled the plug on him a little bit, a uh, little bit too early. Uh, brought uh, brought McGowan in, and uh, the the game changed at that point. Did uh, was that a little bit a uh, little bit too quick on Gibbons' part? No, because the, the previous game, I think Stroman threw 111 or 112 pitches, and then he uh, was pitching again. I don't think that was the, the problem there. McGowan's been pretty good since he's gone to the bullpen, so that's going to happen the odd time where they're they're going to get a. A couple of hits off of these guys. I'm not uh, too critical of Gibbons this time. And the competition in the AL East, uh, uh, going to give the give the Jays a hard time, or the Jays going to get in as a wild card? Uh, where, where are the Jays going with this season? They have to win the division to to uh, get a playoff spot. The wild cards are going to come from the other two divisions. It looks like uh, the records are better right now than the, the Jays in first place. Anyways, uh, time time to go to break. Uh, when we come back, uh, hopefully we'll have Leo Routens. We'll be talking about the NBA draft and the Raptors and all things basketball. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville became the official pizza of the Rogers Cup, presented by National Bank. 
We're giving away 25 pairs of tickets to the finals weekend between now and July 31st, plus four front row tickets to the final match. We're the official pizza because Pizzaville Pizza is like a hard serve. It's so good, you can't return it. Boom! Details at pizzaville.ca or 416-736-3636. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Bond. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We're pleased to have on with us this morning Leo Routens, noted Canadian basketball uh, legend and uh, Zoomer. Leo, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you doing? We're doing fantastic. Good How are you? you? Anyways, a great... Everything's great, Ken. Great. Uh, historic night, uh, Friday night for Canadian basketball. Three Canadians drafted in the first round. Wiggins, Stauskas... And Ennis, and going back in history a little bit, Leo, you were you were a legend in basketball in the 1970s, and uh, the first Canadian drafted in the first round of the NBA draft. How did it make you feel to see three Canadians drafted in the first round? Well, first of all, you're aging me a little bit here. Now. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, let, let, give me the 80s. Give me the 80s. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, you know, it was uh, for that day very well for uh, just a work for your whole life and um i keep telling people that it, it's such a difference that you know when i said when i told people i want to be an nba player people are going like what are you nuts 
you know, nobody, and you didn't walk around with a hockey stick, and nobody was doing that. Like, what was it? What were the chances of you becoming an NBA player? And uh, now, all of a sudden, we fast forward to today, where you know you have three kids taking money. Um, you have four taken overall, and there's a lot more kids coming, and that's coming on the heels of last year, uh, where you had a number one pick as well. So it's just it's just tremendous. Uh, you know, I I had always hoped that, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, if, if somebody looked at me and said, hey, how, how the heck did he make it in the NBA? Or said, wow, hey, he made it in the NBA. I didn't care how anybody perceived it. I just wanted people to realize you can do it. And, you know, then the NBA came along and, wow, look what we got right now. It's uh, it's absolutely tremendous and it's uh, it's just a great, great thing to see. Leo, um, Andrew Wiggins. He was rated number one from the beginning of the year. Do you think it changed any at the end or with the injury to the other fellow that was supposed to go first? That they're saying, yeah. Well, you know, from the beginning of the year, he was in the, he was in the talk. You know, whether you're one, two, or three, I, I think that's all, you know, that's all for the media and all the hype. Uh, reality is this, that if Embiid was 100% healthy, he most likely would have been number one. Uh, Jabari Parker, who did go two, and likely would have gone, you know, two almost in any situation because Milwaukee really wanted him, uh, being so close to Milwaukee and Chicago where he's from. Um, you know, Parker's probably the most NBA ready right now to help a team tomorrow of any of those guys. And then Andrew Wiggins, I think everybody agreed from day one that this is a kid with, you know, unbelievable athleticism, you know, arguably the best in the draft uh, and, and the best over many years. And he has an opportunity to be a special player. And, you know, nobody's going to, nobody expects him to do it right now. It's going to take a little bit of time, but he's got an opportunity to be special. So uh, he's always been in that mix of that one, two, or three from the beginning of the year. Uh, and, and, you know, you hate to see an injury kind of change, change things, but, uh, you know, it, it's thrilling to see him be able to go number one. Why, uh, why all the Canadian players, especially from Toronto, all of a sudden we have, uh, we're dominant in uh, basketball players from the city of Toronto? Why is that? Well, you know, the, the number one thing is you have the Toronto Raptors. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, um, you know, when the NBA came to Canada, it just changed everything. All of a sudden, you know, you had basketball on TV all the time. You had clinics. You had uh, games kids could go to in person. Um, you had you, all of a sudden, if you're a kid that grows up in that time, you can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, and it becomes a whole different experience. And you know, Andrew Wiggins, for example, was born in the year of the Raptors, 1995. And you know, from the time he's a little guy, from playing Nerf Nerf hoop in his bedroom to you know everything else, I mean, he's he's been exposed to the game. And uh, you know, I think that you know the NBA coming to Canada, the Toronto Raptors. You know, the success that Vince Carter had putting the Raptors on the map early, you know, a Steve Nash, you know, all these kids in their very formative years between 9 and 15 were, were watching Steve Nash get back-to-back MVPs. Um, you put all that together, and, and that's what we have right now. And it's uh, and in Toronto especially, I mean, you're talking about, you know, obviously uh, a major population base right here in terms of basketball for sure. Uh, you playing uh, the club basketball, AAU basketball, whatever you want to call it going on here. And these kids are getting a great opportunity to, to play and get exposure. And uh, the national team has made a concerted effort to get down to the kids, uh, all the young kids, and get them involved in the program as early as possible. So when you add it all up, you know, this is what you get. And it's, uh, it's pretty 
Once again, we're talking this morning with Leo Routens. Uh, you just mentioned the uh, the national team, Leo, and you were uh, you were the coach of the men's uh, the men's team for a, a few years. I think it was two thousand and five to two thousand and eleven, or, or thereabouts. Uh, we've had uh, three three first round draft choices this year. We had Anthony Bennett uh, last year. We've had Tristan Thompson. Canadians are doing phenomenally well in the NBA draft. When is this going to translate into success at the national team level for Canada? Well, well here's, here's the important thing people need to understand. that okay, there's, there's a couple of things going on here. If you look at the top international teams and their NBA players, they have stars. They got all-stars. They got, they got major scores. They got all kinds of players like that. Over the years, our NBA players have been role players, got to come in, their teams, you know, get maybe a couple of shots here, rebound here. Uh, you don't have the guys that carry teams. And that's been a major difference. Our NBA players and international teams, NBA players. Uh, on top of that, you know, we just didn't have that many players with high-level experience because not only do the European teams have the NBA guys, the top EuroLeague players. And for a while there, we didn't even have EuroLeague players. So now you, you once you get these guys – all these kids want to play. You know, there's been a myth that these kids don't want to play. They've, they've always wanted to play. We've never had a problem getting the best players to come out and play. So uh, now, now you have a situation where the best example I can give you is the United States. The United States is hands down the best talent in the world. Nobody, can, nobody questions that. Uh, it took them, they're getting thumped back in, in Greece. It took, they, they decided, you know, we've got to do this the right way. It took them three years to be together as a team, play every summer uh, with the best talent in the world, have a secondary pool of players that are ready to step in, to beat Spain by one point in 2008 in the Olympics, by one point. And if Kobe Bryant didn't step up big time, that wouldn't happen. So it tells you the level that you're dealing against. So the first step is having the, the, the second step is having enough time together. And if these guys commit to playing together, understanding the international game, uh, finding some chemistry on the floor, uh, they have an opportunity in the next three to four years uh, to start start doing some special things, and and I think it's going to happen because and, and it may happen sooner, depending on how committed and and uh, how willing they are to, to to get this done as a group, and uh, it's going to be exciting because I think once it starts happening, there's no reason that Canada is going to have to slip away. And a lot of these other countries, uh, you're seeing some of these they've had some great years, but some of these countries, uh, some of their some of their teams are starting to fade a little bit. Uh, and I don't see them getting replenished as easily as Canada is going to be able to do with all the up-and-coming talent. So it's an exciting time for the national team, no question. Leo, uh, you were involved with the Canadian team as the coach, and I have a really, uh, I think it's a difficult question, something that's been bothering me for a few years now. It's not you, it's the uh, Basketball Canada and Steve Nash. I just bring an instance, like Steve Nash has uh, stopped playing for the national team. I, I'm, I can't remember the, the year. Maybe it was 2003, I would think. Two, two, well, one of those years. Three or uh, four, yeah. And I'm just comparing it. He compares to Wayne Gretzky as our golden boy in hockey, right? And he's our golden boy in basketball. He was in his prime. Why is it that we give him a free ride and he didn't play for our national team? Because if Wayne Gretzky said he wouldn't be playing for our national team as a hockey player, what would happen? Well, you know what? I, I don't think that's entirely fair. Uh, 
you know, Steve Nash played almost 10 years uh, for Canada uh, and put the time. He played literally every summer. Uh, he carried when Canada didn't have the supporting cast. I mean, he carried that team for, for all those years. Uh, do some special things. You know, by I think it was 2003 in the Olympic qualifier, there as much around Steve as needed to be. And Canada got thumped. Uh, even with Steve Nash, they lost over 20 points to, I believe, Argentina, uh, United States, and Brazil. They just got thumped. And, you know, I think Steve Steve also uh, has been dealing with some chronic back issues. And, and you know, you got to remember, when you're getting paid, you know, anywhere between 10 to $20 million a year, uh, you have an obligation uh, to perform. And if he realizes at this stage, after playing for 10 years in Canada, making a lot of commitment, uh, at this stage, this is not something you can continue to do and still earn your income, pay, you know, support your family, uh, risking back injury, then you, then you don't do it. And, you know, I had conversations with Steve and, you know, it, you have to remember that it's not just saying, okay, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm just going to show up here. And cause you know, I, I told Steve, this doesn't have to be a major time commitment, but Steve Nash just can't show up and play. He has a level that people expect him to play at. So you have to prepare for that. You have to train for in shape for that. Cause you know, other thing, you know, if you look at these international tournaments, the last tournament we were in, the Olympic qualifier, we played, I believe we played eight games in nine days. And and, and some of those games, some of those days, you played at, you know, 8 o'clock at night and you played 11 o'clock in the morning the next day. And physically, that that's brutal. I mean, there's, there's no other basketball competitions like that. They're dangerous. They shouldn't be happening the way they're happening. Um, also, with FIBA, they have too many events. I mean, you want the best players in the world to play. You know, you can't you can't have you know a qualifier one summer, an event the next summer, a qualifier the next summer, an event the next summer. When do these guys not play? Have a break. So you know, I, I don't have an issue for uh, with Steve Nash not playing uh, when he stopped playing. Uh, that that becomes a personal issue when you've done it as much as he did for Canada. It's it's it, I, I don't have an issue and uh, uh, you know I, I think he more than you know did in his time. Uh, uh, Leo, we just have a just a, a moment left. I do want to ask you a, a really quick question. Uh, you were uh, you were a legend in the in Toronto high school basketball circles back in the uh, in the eighties or early eighties, and there was a, a gentleman by the name of Dan Prendergast who was who was your coach. And uh, he's he's also a bit of a legend in high school basketball in the Toronto area. Tell us a little bit of how uh, what it, what it, how why what made Dan such a great coach and how he made a difference in young people's lives. Well, you know what people people talk about Popovich in the NBA today. How you know you just treated everybody if you had to play. It didn't matter uh, if you were the best player. And at that point, at one point, I was the best player considered the best player in. And if you came to practice, you wouldn't you wouldn't know who was the best player in Canada, who was the last guy in the team. Uh, you know, Dan Pernigas coached you every single day. He was a tremendous person. He made sure you you know you had to go to class, you had to do this, you had to treat people with respect. Um, and, you know, he was a I, very very fortunate uh, to have two two coaches. One Dan Pernigas, the other one Jack Donahue, influenced me uh, as a young man. And uh, you know, I could never I could never repay or or possibly express the gratitude I have for what Dan Parnegas did for me and a whole bunch of other kids at St. Mike's when he coached them. He was uh, just uh, just an unbelievable human being and, uh, you know, still 
still t- stays in touch with all those guys and, and cares for them like they're his own. So, spirit, and without a doubt. Leo, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we could spend another half an hour with you, if not longer. Uh, we, our time has come to an end. We thank you very much for this. Uh, it's it's uh, We really appreciate it. I just have one real quick question. I need a yes or no answer. The guy who was in your backcourt at St. Mike's, the big O, was he any good? Oh, you yes or no? Yes or no? Danny Odorico. Yes. Okay, Leo. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Leo. Thanks so much. Hope we can get you on the show sometime, uh, sometime next year, and uh, and all the best for the summer. Sounds great. Thank you. Best to you. Thanks so much. Anyways, that was Leo Routens. That was uh, uh, a very interesting uh, discussion about uh, a lot of things. Basketball coming up on the show. We have uh, Mike Fuda. Um, Vice President of Hockey Operations. So we're going to take a little bit of a switch going from the NBA to the NHL. So Mike Fuda, Vice President of Hockey Operations, Director of Player Personnel for the Los Angeles Kings. Mike, are you with us? Yes, I am. How are you doing, guys? We're doing great. Anyways, hey, Mike. Con- congratulations on, on, uh, on another Stanley Cup. You're now wearing two Stanley Cup rings. Uh, fantastic effort by the L.A. Kings. Have you stopped celebrating? Well, there was the last two days. We've uh, certainly been a little bit more focused on the real world, and the draft there in Philly was a lot of fun for our group. So, it got back late last night. Just got into Toronto. I haven't been back in ages, so I've got a, a Don Day Championship uh, Charity Slow Pitch Tournament that I've got to attend today. So it's been it's been hectic. I was kind of fortunate with us with us signing uh, Gabby dead and getting Gabbert done in green. But there's really no free agency, so I'm actually going to get a few days at home here before I got to get down to Los Angeles for development camp. So there's not a lot of time off when you're working with Dean Lombardi. Okay. And Mike, congratulations. Uh, question for you: um, the draft yesterday, you drafted uh, a kid out of Sweden. Can you tell me a bit about him? Yeah, Adrian Kempe. Uh, I think it's almost the way our team has been developed in a few years back. I mean, I guess it would have been the Kyle Clifford draft. Braden Shen, Kyle Clifford, Dean talked about changing the culture. Felt that our team was too easy to play against. Um, we needed to get bigger, but at the same time, not totally forsake your skill level. And uh, we've kind of made our, made our, I guess, made our living off of just drafting some some bigger players that are, you know that can compete hard in the wall, that they can grind it out and and play a style that can outlast you in the playoffs and uh, along with you know to compensate the you know both the skill level that's there and. This Kempe kid is a big kid, and he's the second youngest player in the draft, but he's always one of the captains on the Swedish national team at all the tournaments. Great wall player. You know, as a kid, he's got a lot you know, better numbers than he did this year. He actually played games in the Swedish men's league this year, but he's just a mean kid. He's just a mean kid that plays hard, um, great disposition. You know, father is actually a bit of like a street fighting uh, <laughs> Street fighting dude in Sweden is oh, wow. is a good background as far as his uh, just the toughness factor with regards to what he brings to the table. But there's just such an elite compete level that he has. And that being said, he's still a baby at 15, 190, 195. So, you know, we were thrilled that he was still there. He's one of two kids that were really, you know, we were really focusing in on at that point at 29. And we were kind of fortunate enough. That's why we traded up in the second round. The second kid was still available in the second round, and we ended up grabbing a roll of McEwen out of Kingston. So it's one of those days that 
I guess you just have to wait and see whether your list was right and all the work the guys have put in uh, pays off. But as far as the list goes, we were thrilled to be able to get those two guys with our first two picks in the first and second round. Once again, we have with us today Mike Fuda, the Vice President of Hockey Operations and Director of Player Personnel for the L.A. Kings. A couple of uh, young men played a, uh, um, a very important role for your team in in, uh, in the playoffs. Tyler Toffoli and Tanner Pearson, who were not high draft choices. You, they were stuck on a line with stuck. Uh, they were on a line with Jeff Carter, and were probably the best best line uh, the L.A. Kings had. How do you identify um, when you're when you're scouting um, uh, guys like or players like Toffoli and and Pearson? What what is it about how they play that you see? Well, Tyler, for me, I mean, in watching him as a junior Canadian, Tyler Toffoli scored bucket loads of goals. Uh, he might have had 75 or 80 in his minor midget years. So the only thing that was ever questioned on Tyler was his foot speed. It was never really a determination. Uh, or anything along those lines. He had tremendous bloodlines. His father was one of those almost a career lifer in the rink with regards to being a trainer and just being so supportive as a dad and just a family in general. And Tyler ended up going to the Ottawa 67s. And again, he, he scored 50 or 60, and it was always easy. Yeah, but he was never skating that long. Like, it was just, I guess at that point, it becomes a gut call on how you want to know the kid and whether he's going to put in the work. And we actually have a tremendous development team with Mike Donnelly and Nelson Emerson and Glenn Murray and Sean O'Donnell and Mike O'Connell and Rob Blake and the guys and actually James Richmond, their skating coach, worked specifically with Tyler on his skating and Tyler put in the work with his fitness and his conditioning and he found that extra stride that allows now for his uh, natural tendency to put the puck in the net and take over. You have a lot of guys, they don't put in the work. Tyler put in the work and, you know, He's the one that <laughs> the puck just flies off his stick now, but he gets around and he's in a much more fit machine to skate around the ice. Tanner Pearson went through the draft. He's a little different story because he wasn't as heralded. Went through the draft. We had him rated late in the previous draft, and it's actually one of those things as a scouting staff. A lot of people don't like to admit when you make mistakes and when the kids just put it in. So the following year, we ended up taking him as a 19-year-old to, and the 29th, it was the year after we won our first cup, we took him in the 29th slot as a kid that's already gone through drafts. And that's sometimes it's tough for guys to do to take in kids that have already gone through because they have to admit that they made a mistake on him. And Tanner was more just defined as a 19-year-old. He was uh, a lot more fit, but his play away from the puck, his penalty killing was something you always noticed. He was always in the right, right spot. The sticks were always in the lanes. And he made a lot of plays, and he's another one that just really bought into the fitness concept, hooked in with our development program, and just took it to another level. And I guess you you want to see what the picture looks like, and you'd like to think, but I give Daryl Sutter an incredible amount of credit for he didn't really expose these kids. He really played them in situations. If you, like, they were so dominant in playoffs with carts, but if you looked at their ice at the end of the night, they were only playing 11 or 12 minutes. So he was really allowing them to play every shift with the ultimate amount of energy. And I think that's the way their impact, you know, showing them the game. It's great for them, but believe me, I I know what their exit meetings were like after winning their first Stanley Cup, and Daryl was <laughs> pretty adamant that if they wanted to become 17-minute players, that there was going to have to be a lot more work put in this summer. Mike, i got to ask you about uh, Drew Doughty, who's my uh, personal favorite player in the NHL, and 
I've been making the case that he's the top defenseman in the game and perhaps the do- top player in the game when he's on his game. When you drafted Drew Doughty, did you have any idea that he would uh, – I'm sure you had an idea, but did you project him to be like the top three player in the world? I'm going to give you an answer, and you're probably – it's going to be taken the wrong way. Uh, right. Yes. No, no. I think I – think, uh, Did he show that so, in junior? Yes. The only thing, again, with Drew at the time was Drew was playing. There were nights that Drew would play that I think he just changed himself. I think he played 40 minutes a night in Guelph, and he wasn't in the best shape. But he was still – the tendencies that he showed and his ability to dominate a game – just make people miss him on the ice and just move pucks and find guys. It was almost like, we could, whatever you say, he's a first-option passer. He had like three or four options. I said the one the one game that I stood behind in that, I said it was like, this has got to feel like what it's like to be in Tom Brady's backfield, the way he <laughs> just makes people miss him and just finds people that are open. And and Drew, we really challenged him because that was Stephen <clears throat> Stamkos' draft year. And the Bogosians and the Trangelos were coming up from behind and it was one of those things that Drew Drew really had to. He was like 234 pounds or something coming out of Guelph, and we really challenged him on his fitness level, never on any other level because he's the most competitive kid I've ever met. And his, his obviously his play is off the charts. But he really made it. He made, like Drew's never going to win any you know, Ironman competitions for fitness. <laughs> he's just a throwback player, which even makes him more, even makes him more special. But he, he got himself in great shape for the combines. He locked off, I think, about 20 pounds. And we took him. I mean, I've said this, if we were picking first overall, and it's not anything to do with, you know, Drew's two cups. I mean, Stamkos is going to be a star. They're, two Hall of, they're going to be both in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But we would have taken Drew first overall, and it was it's more related to it's just the position. I don't know when we'll see another defenseman come along that does all that. And, uh, you know, there's some great ones. They're there at Carlson and stuff. But I, I just personally think we've had this debate, and, you know, again, right or wrong, it certainly makes for good fodder over a couple of beers that, we can't come up with a name that we'd trade at any position. I, I wouldn't trade anybody for Drew Doughty. Anyways, uh, Mike, I'm going to throw 12 names at you. And aside from the fact that they're all L.A. Kings, uh, I want to see if you can identify what else they have in common. Dustin Brown, Jeff Carter, Kyle Clifford, Drew Doughty, Jake Musen, Trevor Lewis, Jordan Nolan, Tanner Pearson, Mike Richards, Tyler Toffoli, and Justin Williams. Aside from the fact that they're all L.A. Kings, what else do you see that they have in common? Are they all Scorpios? No, they're all <laughs> they're all, all the Ontario Hockey They're all yeah, from the Ontario Ontario Hockey League. Half of your roster is from the Ontario Hockey League. Is that a coincidence? Is that watching too much Don Cherry? Or is that something that's there's something never, similar about the culture it. of the O that's similar to the LA Kings culture? Well there's a familiarity that I have with that group, and I mean, I was fortunate enough to coach it. I think that's part of the thing that we're trying to still like bringing Chris Byrne on board from the Ottawa 67s and Clay Liable helping us out in the Ontario. Is and Mark Yannetti, who I work with, it, it's I have this, I have a vast amount of people that I trust in the Ontario, and I spend a ton of time here. And there's something about the league and the and the coaching staff, and we've been fortunate. There's great players everywhere, but that that group in particular, a lot of those kids. I was fortunate enough to coach and, you know, general manager, coach against, and be involved in under-17 programs. So there's quite a bit of a, maybe an insider trading, I guess, would call it as far as really getting to know their families and their kids. And, and you know, we've been fortunate enough to take a lot of those kids and have them pan out. Um, it's certainly, it's, 
not was it Dean would call it. It's not, I remember the way he saw I had like 30 reports on Tyre Toffoli and he goes, like, are you just living in Ottawa? Or are you just <laughs> stuff like that? And I'm like, there's just certain kids that when you walk onto, you just, you want to have them. You wait, and, it's, and, and, it, and that's the ability, like in the Ontario Hockey League, you couldn't move up or down. So you just kind of had to sit there and hope he was there. But in the NHL, you're afforded that opportunity with Tyre Toffoli, for example. When he was there, it was like, Dean, let's throw the book at him. we got to move up and get this kid. And we ended up moving up and jumping ahead of a team that we knew was going to take him. And it works out for you. But, again, we got a great staff. And, and for me, the Ontario Hockey League is, I mean, the CHL for me has always been a personal favorite league to scout just with my friends and contacts that are in the coaching community from Mr. Branch down. But, I don't know. There's something about the OHL that's really paid off for us. And Dean said, I mean, Howie Campbell, the owner, Barry said, that's the best OHL all-star team I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) The results are shown. Uh, A player that I was really impressed with, uh, who stepped it up even more than usual, Jeff Carter, really impressed me in the playoffs, Mike. And uh, what's uh, what's your opinion of him during the playoffs this year? Well, if there, it, it would almost amaze me that back, I remember, I think that was one of my first years in the OHL as a general manager, the Karts was coming in, and the knock of him, they used soft. I think he had two minutes in penalties in his OHL draft year. Uh, playing, he's playing in the London uh, Junior B League there. And uh, and to watch this kid now, he's an absolute warrior. Like, there was not a person in the NHL more banged up in him. I mean, he had he had issues in his stomach. He had uh, issues with his knees. Uh, he was taking, uh, you know, they were freezing him up so he could get back out there. They were freezing him up in between period shifts. And he, uh, I mean, I mean, you look at him now, I remember he looked like he didn't have a scar on him, and now he's got a full beard to cover all the scars. He's got no teeth. And he's clearly, for someone that when we got him, I mean, it was almost like he needed that experience in Columbus, which in his career was kind of a rock-bottom situation. It wasn't going well on the ice, off the ice. And after leaving Philadelphia, it was like almost like a get out of jail. Columbus clearly has turned everything around. It was just a tough time for the organization, but it was almost like he had a new lease on life when that deal was made. And everything. His, he's, he's the first one in the rink in the morning. He's the he's having a coffee. He's in the gym before anybody's there. And on the ice, he's just he's just a leader. And I think I think initially those kids breathed a little bit of life into his playoff because I think he was just physically tired from the Olympics and all the hockey he had played. And then he just elevated his game to another level. Like, I think he actually probably kicked the tires to get himself in the cons. Smythe talk just on how unbelievably consistent in the big goals that he scored. Anyways, we've had with us this morning Mike Fuda, Vice President of Hockey Operations and Director of Player Personnel for the LA Kings. Unfortunately, our time has uh, come to a pass here. Mike, uh, we thank you very much for joining us uh, this early on a Sunday morning. Uh, we wish you all the best. Uh, somehow I feel those two Stanley Cup rings. Uh, get your other fingers ready because I think this team uh, may, be, may be occupying a couple, more of, uh, a couple more of your fingers. Anyways, Mike, thanks so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, talk to you soon, hopefully. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks very much. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville sponsored the Rogers Cup, presented by National Bank. We're giving away 25 pairs of tickets to the finals weekend between now and July 31st. Plus, one lucky winner will be courtside for the final match with four front row tickets. My half-brother Raul won't go. He's been to court too many times already. Details at pizzaville.ca or 416-736-3636. 
At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. This is Daryl Settler for Alt Infinity and Vaughn. Car buying made simple. That's what Alt Infinity is all about. No stress, no hassle, no nonsense. Just fun and easy and rewarding experience that will put you behind the wheel of a fabulous new or used Infinity. Expert sales staff, superior service, and the largest selection in Ontario. And the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's what makes Alt Infinity the captain's choice. Alt Infinity, Woodbridge.com, at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Striving to inspire you at every turn. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Uh, we'll have on shortly Mark Kennedy talking about World Cup. But uh, right now we have on the line Sean Clement, uh, golf uh, golf guru. Found him at uh, www.wisdomingolf.com. Sean, uh, Tiger's back on the tour. And yes, sir. T- tell us a little bit about uh, what, uh, what you found out about Tiger. Well, the, um, uh, by the way, gorgeous morning here on the golf course with my daughter at Tidron Dells here in Oshawa. What hole are you on? And, uh, I'm on hole number four and just curved this gorgeous eight iron around the tree onto the front of the green to save my par, like uh, Alabama. <laughs> you playing uh, right-handed or left-handed? That was a left-handed shot. I had to curve it around left-handed. Okay. You can't, it's hard to cut a, a, a short iron right-handed, but you can hook the snot out of a left-handed uh, 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 around to the right. So what, what did Tiger do to get himself back in shape to get back on tour? The, uh, the key here, and it was on the Golf Channel over the course of the week, he calls it an anti-inflammatory diet. And um, that's something that I've been on for the last three months that I lost like about 35 pounds with. Uh, the book that changed my world was Grain Brain by a neurologist by the name of Dr. Perlmutter. I suffered from migraines every week for the last 20 years. I haven't had a migraine in about four months. And uh, this anti-inflammatory diet is very much like the paleo diets that you see, uh, you know, gaining some, some pretty good strength uh, on the market right now. 
couple of books that I that I you know help promote on my website on that subject because it's it's really it's really changed the way I look at things. And and what do you and, what difference do you see in Tiger? Well, that's the thing. You know, a three month a three month recovery. If you look at Graham Dillette, it took him a whole year to recover from the same issue that Tiger had. And you know, to do it in three months, it was bloody miraculous. And he attributes, you know, in in large part, you know, obviously his fitness, but that in, that anti-inflammatory diet. They they had uh, one of the doctors on the show afterwards saying that, you know, any anything that causes inflammation uh, to your body will will really, you know, slow down the healing process in a tremendous way. Inflammation has its purpose, but once the healing process is started, it's, it's got to go. And, um, and you know, just, just reading through that, uh, I, you know, the, the book I recommend is Grain Brain is also uh, Mark Sison, who uh, it's called The, uh, the, the uh, Primal Blueprint. It's also an amazing book on the subject. And, and what the, the foods that they listed on the show were exactly the same foods that you see listed in those books. Now, Tiger's, really worth, worth a look. Tiger's back this week. He didn't, uh, yeah. didn't do well. I uh, don't no. know if you saw him at all, if you notice anything different in his swing. But when somebody comes off a layoff yeah. uh, of, of, of that length in golf, uh, how long does it take? What's it take to get back up to, uh, to 100%? Well, that's, you know, you've you got to get your feet back into competitive situations. And, and that's, you know, especially on that course, that's a, that's a tough golf course. Congressional is not a, not a piece of cake. And the rough is, uh, is pretty high, so... It puts a lot of pressure on him to put the ball in play, and if he doesn't, well, he's got to watch out when he's when he's hacking it out of the thick rough. So I, you know, nobody expected him to do well this week, but it was just very important for him to get back into the competitive juices, to get his mind around that competitiveness, to get back, you know, for the British Open. Anyway, Sean, we'd uh, we'd like to thank you for coming on again this morning. Uh, Sean Clement with us, top top uh, golf uh, teacher on YouTube. Check him out on YouTube, Sean Clement. Check him out at the Richmond Hill Golf Learning Center. If you really want to improve your game, uh, give Sean Clement a call. Sean, we really appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck today on the golf course, and have a fabulous day. Thanks, Walter. Take care, my friend. All right. Take it easy, guys. Yeah. Anyways, we've had uh, the World Cup's been uh, had a couple of interesting turns this week. It's had a bit of a bite to it, don't you think? A bit of bite to it. So we have on the line to talk about a few of the uh, interesting events from the week. Mark Kennedy, noted uh, soccer blogger. Mark, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, and and thanks for stealing my only joke. <laughs> Anyways, don't want to don't want to dwell too much on. Uh, on on, two, on uh, the events from uh, from earlier in the week, but uh, at some point in time in the World Cup, uh, poor refereeing rears its ugly head, and I'm sure we're going to see it at some point between now and the end. I thought the referees changed the outcome of two games this week, the Italy-Uruguay game, and uh, I believe it was the Greece-Cote d'Ivoire game. Your thoughts on that, Mark? Well... You have to remember that, that there is a large pool of referees that, that FIFA brings down there, and we've got one Canadian who's a, a linesman, uh, Joe Fletcher, um, and he's been doing a good job. When, when we see a referee mistake, um, we, we, we miss out on the follow-up, and usually that follow-up is that ref gets fired. You never see that ref again, the, 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 the referees. Are, are scrutinized, and there's a, you know 60 of them sitting around waiting to take the place of someone who messes up. So. Well, half of those guys must have refed Italy games, I'll tell you. 
over the course of the last 20 years, but sorry for interrupting. Go oh, ahead. no, I, 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 I take your point very, very, very deeply because, yes, the Italy-Uruguay game, there, there should have been all 60 refs should have been there just to cover all the angles. It was, it was certainly uh, a gritty game. And uh, how, uh, a, a fantastic game yesterday. Yes. Brazil-Chile. Uh, Brazil, uh, um, you know, a lot of teams have gone home. Uh, Brazil's very lucky they didn't get deported. If they had lost that game, they wouldn't have been sent home. They would have been sent overseas. But uh, a crossbar uh, and a post. And if it wasn't for that, Chile would be playing Colombia in the next game. That's true, and there, remember, there's a Toronto FC connection to Brazil. Julio Cesar, the Brazil number one keeper, who made two saves in the penalty kicks, and then called on his best friend, the Post, uh, was playing for Toronto for, for the spring. I don't think he's going to return to us. I think he's now that he's back on the world stage, he's going to end up at a bigger team. But uh, he's. He, we consider him a, the Toronto keeper still, especially when, when he makes a save on penalty kicks. Now, the heat in Brazil, has it been a big effect on the, uh, on the play there, Mark? I, I don't think so. Um, there is worries about the, um, the, the one city in the Amazon, and um, I think it's Manaus, but I, I might be mispronouncing it. That's the one where they've done a chart which says, any team, whether they win or lose when they play there, always seems to suffer in their following game wherever they play. Um, but there's also a lot of travel. Brazil is a large country, and um, we'll, we'll have to see what the heat does in, in the games ahead. But, but I think the big games are going to now all be in Rio, so there's not going to be quite the, the Amazonian uh, temperature factor. Colombia. Um, looks like a team that could go all the way. They've got the star of the tournament so far. His name is Rodriguez. Yeah. Not sure how you pronounce his first name. Is it James or Yamez? It's it's Yamez. Okay. Um, I think it's very hard to look at that. You know, as as in English speaking people, we look at that word James and we're convinced yeah. that this guy's named James, but it's Hamez. Hamez. Okay. Is the H sound? He uh, he he. Uh, scored a goal yesterday that commentators were calling one of the one of the best of all time, and this Colombia team looks like it's headed to a titanic struggle with Brazil. How, yeah. do, you, how, how do you assess that match? I, I think it's going to be more of a challenge than we were expecting Chile to be. Um, yes, James Rodriguez has scored five goals. He's the leading scorer in the tournament, and it's it, it's not a situation where there's just one star and and then uh, uh, you know the the seven dwarfs. Instead, there's a lot of of quality players on that team. It should be it should be an exciting match. Um, I'm I'm hoping it doesn't go to penalty kicks because because I, I want to see Brazil uh, be pushed to the limit and really sort of pour out their offensive talents as well. The draw, the draw. Sorry, Mark. The draw shaping up looks like France and Germany may be headed to another one of the one of their Titanic struggles. That sort of remember the, the one of the great games in World Cup history in 1982, in the semis, France and Germany, the the infamous four three four three game. Yeah. Uh, how, how would you assess a France Germany game? That that would be, I think, a, a good game for Germany. Um, I think France has surprised everyone uh, with with their qualities, but um, Germany—they call Germany the machine—and and France, 
at this point really hasn't come up against a tough team. They had a fairly easy group, um, and the, their first game is Nigeria. Um, it's it's uh, I'm very cautious on this World Cup because here we are talking about France and Germany, and for all we know, the other teams involved in those games, Nigeria and Algeria, um, it, it would punish us properly if suddenly there, there was a semifinal between Algeria and Nigeria. Um, let, let's... Yeah, let's let's see how let's they see how do. it pans out. Mark, we've got a one more quick question from Naz, and then we've got to wrap it up. Great. Your your picks to go to the final. I've been saying all along Brazil and Belgium. I think Belgium is a team that could surprise Argentina, could surprise the Netherlands, and yet every time I've watched Belgium, they they look like they can't get their act together. So I'm still I'm still hoping a Brazil Belgium final. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Should be another great week in World Cup soccer. Anyways, I uh, want to wrap it up. I want to thank our producer, Kelvin. We've never thanked you before on the show. So, Kelvin, thanks for your great work. Our intern, Josh Cooper, uh, read some of his interesting pieces on our blog site. And look forward this week to World Cup soccer. And July 1st, it's free agent day in the NHL. Uh, that's always uh, an interesting day. Anyways, have a great week from Naz and Wally at the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.